You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Find the spot. It's great to see you here today. Talking about my episode with my knee. Um, people have asked me, when did you hurt it? Well, I played baseball for 11 years, and I was a catcher, believe it or not, six foot four catcher. Looked like an accordion. <laughs> and I was good. I do not, not going to be humble. Our team uh, tied for the city championship back in 1969, but when you play baseball from the time you're nine to the time you're in college and you're catching, there's no wonder you need new knees. It's, it's rough. So, But um, I, would, I would do it again because I wouldn't know the next time that I was going to need a knee replacement either. So. <laughs> do you know why I don't believe in time travel? How many people want to be weird this morning? They would, they would be back by now. That's going to mess with you. Think about that. <laughs> That's really good. I don't know if you know how good that really is, ladies and gentlemen, but that is well thought through, that statement right there. Because if, well, never mind. Anyway. Oh, one of my heroes is here, Jim Hill. He's in the back. Jim, stand up. We want to bless you today. Just stand up. Jim is our primary missionary that we support. And uh, Jim has a great testimony about my life when he first met me. Um, I've been married 41 years, probably 43 years ago. And I had just met the Lord, and Jim met me. Jim told a friend of his, this guy's never going to make it. <laughs> so I don't know how I did. I didn't think I was going to make it either, but here I am. So aren't you lucky? I think you should feel that way. But anyway, Jim um, has been such a tremendous friend. He's like a – let me tell you what stuff Jim Hill does. He's going to be mad at me, but I want people to know the kind of people we support in missions. The Lord told him a number of years ago that if he would build – a water filtration plant in the mountains of Peru in a certain area where arsenic was so bad, the average um, age of a woman, it, it affected women worse, was 50 when they died. And so Jim raised the funds, uh, got in touch with some engineers to develop the technology, built a water filtration plant, in the mountains of, is it Peru, Jim? The mountains of Argentina. And gave it to that community because Jim wanted them to believe in Jesus. That's what it is to be a legit missionary, ladies and gentlemen. And he's the one we support. And I'm really, I'm honored to know him. And he's going to hate me for saying all this, but he will have to forgive me and get over it. Anyway, that's Jim Hill. Let's give it up for Jim Hill. Come on. Yeah, when the real thing shows up, you need to acknowledge it. So that's who I believe Jim is. Now, 
We've been studying the gospel of Mark, and we're, we're looking at Mark chapter uh, 14 today. And I have some preliminary comments I want to make because I want to tell you what I'm, I'm trying to do. I, after having known the Lord for, I don't know, almost five decades, I've seen things that help people. I've seen things that don't help people. I've listened to preaching that condemns people, uh, threatens them, intimidates them. And quite frankly, I don't think that really works well. It may have a short-term effectiveness, but then you have a bunch of people who get connected to the Lord based on fear, fear of going to hell or fear of punishment or however all that works. Um, and that's a terrible, I think any reason you get saved is a good reason. Let me, let me, let me say that. But when your foundation is of fear and dread and condemnation, instead of knowing the love of God, you are not going to be a healthy person. You're just not going to be healthy. And when I say healthy, I mean not just physically healthy, I mean well-adjusted, knowing how to relate to other people, other races, other sexes, other whatevers, um, because the inability, and we see this throughout our nation, the inability to be kind to one another, I believe, is rooted in an identity crisis, personal identity crisis all across the land. Now, we, we have something called identity politics, whether it's about um, transgender. And I usually talk about political stuff, and I'm not really talking about political stuff now, but I'm going to mention some political things in order to talk about something spiritual that will make a huge difference. There's all this about identity politics, whether you're transgender, homosexual, homophobic, a racist, or... You know, whether you go to Alabama or LSU. But the only safe, um, functional way to discover who you are in a way that will enable you to love everybody, essentially always, is to know who you are in Christ. Your, your, um, your identity can't be primarily as black or white or nor- northern or southern, even, even as male or female. Paul actually says there's neither male nor free, uh, male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Gentile in Christ. And what he's trying to say is any level um, other than in Christ that you discover who you are is a lower level that will not ultimately serve you. Can you hear what I'm saying? And it's true. I'm going to tell you, I was, uh, found myself in, in a group of men the other day. They were, one, one fellow was, he was Hispanic. He's from the Dominican Republic. I'm white, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Southerner. And then there were 
um, five African Americans from different streams of, of that culture. And they gave me the privilege of hearing their hearts about their own experience. And one of them happened to be a black man. He happened to come from Chicago. He happened to grow up poor. His dad was like an itinerant preacher who would preach extra revivals so he could go to college at Morehouse College. Now, some of you may know, some of you may not know, and I'm, I'm right about this at some level. Spelman and Morehouse, those two colleges in particular in the South, are some of the finest African-American or black institutions uh, for higher education. I know there are more. But I think those two both are in Atlanta. Is that right? They're in Atlanta. But so, so this gentleman who grew up in Chicago, grew up poor, went to Morehouse College, bright student. I think he played tennis, sharp, sharp guy. And he had the worst problem with racism or prejudice as a black man in an all-black college because he was not as rich as some of those other people were rich. And I thought, that's amazing. You, you would think you, you're, you're, you're an African-American man in America. You're, you, you, wanna, you love your race. You want to see your race in particular. I mean, that, that's a legit thing. Excel, so you go to a university, and when you get there, you discover you are more despised by certain people in that institution than you were on the streets of Chicago. And so as they were talking, I was getting an education because I realized this, that the only safe, wholesome place to identify who you are ultimately is as a person born of God, loved of God. I was really shocked by the whole conversation. I thanked him. I said, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Now, I wrote this, knowing the love of God is the only safe, fulfilling, self-adjusting. Somebody say self-adjusting. Self-adjusting way to establish our identity because here's the problem. If you know who you are, if you really know, you are neither, you are not offended and, and you have no innate reason to despise anyone else because you're not depending on being better than them or on them being worse than you to somehow position who you are in the natural order, in the natural world. You don't have to despise anybody. You, you don't even have to exalt anybody. I have, I have, uh, you know, my book's out and I've had, I've had some wonderful things happen. I've had, um, I've had Bill Johnson. I've had Sean Boltz. I've had, uh, Brian Simmons. All of them tweet or say something about my book. But, but you know, there's one thing about that. I would never ask them to. Now, that may sound crazy. Why would you never ask him to? Because I don't want to um, use people 
to my own advantage to get somewhere maybe I'm not even supposed to be. And I don't want to suck up to them. And I don't want to not be able to tell them exactly what I believe and think in certain situations because to get along with them can further my career. Or if they like me, I'm happy. If they don't like me, I'm not happy. That's a terrible way to live. But the majority of the world lives that way because they don't know who they are. And their hatreds and their prejudices are built on the fact that in the depths of their heart, they're insecure about who they truly, really are. And I, I, I saw that all over again with this awesome a black real estate guy that that I, I met the other day who told me a story. Yeah. If you don't know who you are, you're going to despise, you're going to condemn, you're going to criticize other races, other sexes, other denominations, other political parties, whoever you need to to make yourself feel a little bit better about your poor, pitiful self. But see, you don't have a poor, pitiful self. You don't. You are someone God created. You know, when I sign my book, sometimes I'll put to so-and-so. I always, you know, your name could be Mark. I'm still going to ask you how you spell your name. Because it, it could be M-A-R-K, M-A-R-C, M-E-R-C-H-T. Who knows? But I'll put this to Mark. God's favorite Question mark. I do this sometimes and underneath it I'll put, it's you. Exclamation point. See, the wonder of the gospel is we deserved punishment. We deserved some form of judgment. But because God loved us, he, he paid a price for us so that we might realize he cares about us, that we don't be justified in his sight, that we might have eternal life, and that we might begin to develop develop a relationship with God that transforms us, transforms our identity, and actually enables us to be nice to somebody. Wouldn't that be shocking? Woohoo! Okay. Now, when you know what Jesus did for you, you will respond in love to him. And that knowledge has the potential to make you a whole person. Okay, in closing, let's pray. No, I ain't even started yet. But Now, I have on a, a hat that gives me a certain mystique. You may say, why? I don't ever, have never mentioned this. Why do you wear it? Maybe I just like to. Well, should you wear it? I'm not asking your permission. Thank you very much. I just like, and then I have this awesome, see, if you thought, let, let me show you the way people think. If you thought this was coffee, you would put me in a certain category in your mind, right? What if it's Diet Coke? Where would you put me then? Do you see what I'm saying? Does that really make a difference in the way you see me? Come on, be, be honest. Hey, he's awesome, man. Got to, you got skinny jeans. You know, I don't qualify for skinny jeans. You got fat boy jeans. Drinking mate, latte, zuba, big little middle, <laughs> celery stick, asparagus. It's green. The couple disintegrates them that you drink it. Maybe his pants will too. Who knows? I'm just so sick of all that stuff. Drink coffee.
Coke. Eat a cheeseburger. Come on. Come on. What age are people going to feast and feast? Well, maybe 40. 40? (laughs) What do you call that age group you're reaching out to? What's that real name there, somebody? Young adults, listen, I was 40 an entire older level young adult ago. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. I'm just talking. You have the benefit of me not making sense this morning. So that's not true. I was making really good sense. Diet Coke, by the way, let the record show. Now, when you read the Gospel of Mark, And chapter 14, it is so packed with striking and significant events that I'm only going to really major on two different, two different portions. And here is really what I'm after this morning. Here's what I want you to open your heart to. I want you to open your heart to seeing how much Jesus really does love you. That's, that's really all I'm after this morning. If somehow you could be touched afresh and anew by that, I would be, I would be thoroughly, thoroughly satisfied. I really would. But when you look at, uh, Mark 14, uh, in that chapter, the Jews plot to kill Jesus. You find Mary's lavish act of devotion. Jesus actually said when she poured, um, the perfume on his head and on his feet that she had anointed him for burial. You discover in that chapter Judas deciding to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus and the disciples share their last Passover together. Jesus inaugurates communion, the communion of his body and his blood. Jesus informs the apostles that one of them will betray him, which will end in his death. But he promises to be raised from the dead. And after he is, he will meet them in Galilee Then it talks about Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' arrest and trial. And one of the reasons I love Jesus is because he, he, he has become personally alive to me. I know him. I can, I can say I know him. Now, do I know him adequately? Probably not. Do I know him absolutely? Probably not. I can't get him to do everything I want him to do, so I'm, I've got some ground to make up, I guess. But but I can remember a number of years ago, uh, I would wake up around 3.34 in the morning. I couldn't get back to sleep, and so I would start praying. And this happened over actually some weeks and months. And at a given point, I began to pray. And to me, it was sort of an odd prayer. But it was, it was just how this all worked in my, how many of you have a devotional life nobody else needs to know much, much about? Yeah. Um, so I began to say to the Lord, uh, I had been reading the gospels and I saw that they slapped Jesus, they spit on Jesus, they pulled his beard out, um, they, of course they crucified him, they, a whole gang of people just beat him up, and um, he was scourged, which is a terrible, terrible thing to happen to someone. 
But number one, he did all that, but he allowed all that to go on because he loved us. But what I would pray in the middle of the night is I would pray, I would say to the Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry for the way you were treated when you came. I'm so sorry for the way you were treated when you came. And I would, I would just think about what happened to Jesus, how they actually treated him. I mean, if you had a close friend that was even remotely treated like Jesus and you really cared about him, it would affect you. It, it would have, it would have a gripping effect on your life. And so I found myself over, uh, I don't know if it was days or weeks, but it was a little number of days anyway. I wake up in the morning and I, I couldn't go back to sleep, so I'd start praying that. Jesus, I'm so far the, sorry for the way you were treated when you came. And I would think through the Gospels about all the different things they did to him and how he's mistreated and how they basically told him he was an illegitimate child and the rumors about his mother and uh, the scripture, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Now, you think his own people. Well, yeah, his own people, but he came to his own planet. He came into his own creation that he himself had personally created, according to the New Testament, and was unrecognizable. And so, as I was praying that, I was suddenly caught up in, in I don't know if it was a vision or a trance, but I was in the room where Jesus was being scourged before his crucifixion. Now, the, the whole scourging process is they have, they have a whip called a cat of nine tails, and there would be a stick, and there would be these strips of leather, I guess nine, but there'd be strips of leather. And embedded in the strips of leather, there'd be glass, and there'd be metal, and there'd be stone, and there'd be bone, whatever um, that would rip and tear your skin when you were whipped with it. And so I saw them in this vision tie up Jesus' wrist, and then I saw them tie the other end to, it was like an iron ring or some kind of a post or something. And and when I saw, I know this is graphic, I'm sorry if some of the kids are in here, but you've probably seen worse, I don't know. Who knows, but God bless you. Help, Lord. But this is just the gospel. This really happened. It's in the Bible we read. When they would hit Jesus, at a given point, it became so painful that he would leave, both feet would leave the ground in agony when they hit him. And um, the idea is that they... Uh, they um, submitted to the Jewish law of only striking someone with the whip less than 40 times because they knew beyond that very likely it would kill them. Well, these were Romans and not Jews that whipped Jesus. They weren't thinking about anything other than if we can go start our weekend when this guy's done. I mean, that was legit. They were soldiers. Their job was to tune this guy up for crucifixion, and the worse off he was, the quicker he'd die. And so when when I saw Jesus in that vision, 
Some people said 39 stripes, each stripe for one of the 39 disease groups, yada, yada, yada. Man, there weren't any stripes on Jesus. It was one big open wound. And uh, it, it so affected me, I don't even... It, and I kept hearing, I felt like I kept hearing the Lord say, I need a place. Say that with me. I need a place. And here's what I believe the Lord was saying. Because I asked him, Lord, Lord, why did you show me that? That's like you showed me yourself in your most humiliating, embarrassing degrading way. And he said, I, I just wanted you to see what happened to me. And I would hear, I would, there was a heart cry and I felt like it was really from the throne. And it was like the Lord saying, I must have a place. And I thought, what kind of place? You know what kind of place he's talking about? A place in human hearts that can recognize what he has done for us in a way that really moves us, the way that changes us. Not just religion and going to church and paying tithes or not paying tithes and obeying rules, but no, he's looking for a legit, he's looking for a place in people's hearts. He wants to reveal who he is and what he has done, not for humanity, but for you, each person. It's a personal thing, what he did. It's personal. He did this for you. John 3.16, if you put your name in there, for God so loved Robin, he gave his only son. Okay, what is that gave his only son part? It's what I'm talking about here. Gave his only son to be terribly treated, to be humiliated, to be beaten, to be despised, to be scorned. The only good man who ever lived, who only did whatever he did for the good of other people. In the prime of his life, he was lied about. He was abused. He was mistreated. And he died a, naturally speaking, premature death. Actually, in the book of Galatians, I think it is, Paul talks about, uh, he's, he's giving the Galatians a hard time for going back to the law and thinking obeying a bunch of rules will transform their lives and make God happy. But no, no, Paul said, no, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Christ Jesus has been evidently set forth among you as crucified, meaning there was an encounter, there was a concept, somehow it had registered with those people the reality of the pain and the sufferings of Jesus for them, for them. It's amazing. So, I want us to, I want, I want to mention a couple of prayers Actually, um, let, let's actually look at just the first one, Ephesians 3, 
16 through 19. This is one of Paul's apostolic prayers. Let's read this together. Now, this is, we're going to pray, we're going to pray this. Did you start early? Good John. I like John Schroeder. He's always ready. So this is a prayer. This is not, we're just repeating this. We're, let's pray this. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, stop right there, may be able to comprehend, right? To know, not know about, to know, to comprehend, to feel, to let the full weight of the goodness of God register. Verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about these verses this morning, I was thinking about Paul's prayer See, see, if we will ask God to do this, he will do it for us. I, I don't know if he'll do it today. But he will do it sometime if we stick with it because he wants you to know how much he loves you more than you want to know how much you are loved. But it's not just automatic. I don't know why it isn't. It would be great if it was. But it, it maybe it's relational. Maybe God wants to draw us into this. Maybe he wants to give us a a framework for appreciation for it so we won't take for granted the goodness of God because some people despise the goodness of God. Some people God rescues out of terrible situations and it never makes enough sense to them that God could have not rescued them. They could have gone into a horrible place. They could have died prematurely. They could have all sorts of things happen to them, and yet God preserved them, and he preserved them, and they walk out of that, well, gosh, isn't that wonderful? And then they go live their lives as though God never helped them at all. That's not good. I was talking to Don the other day. I said, wonder how many times God's kept us from getting killed that we don't know anything about, that we don't know anything about. So... um. We don't need to read this, but in Ephesians 1, 17 through 20, the earlier chapter, Paul is actually praying again, and he prays this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in, in the knowledge of him. He's not talking about, we hope you will just really learn that Bible cover to cover. No, the knowledge of this wonderful person who's you can discover in this book. Actually, I was thinking about in Romans, Romans 10, 13, I think it says, I saw this the other day, it says, um, uh, why you need preachers, it says, 
Uh, how can they believe if they don't hear? How will they hear if a preacher doesn't preach? But actually in there it says, how will they hear? It says, how would they hear of him? But the way it's written, you would think it was talking about hearing about him when, when the, the language is really saying you can hear him through a preacher's voice. So you, I'll be, it does not matter what I believe and it doesn't matter what I think ultimately. The only thing that truly matters is what is absolutely the truth and what the true heart of God is really like. But you can hear Jesus. You can hear the Spirit of God speak right to your heart through someone like me. You might hear him and discover you're hearing him. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, I about preached my time up. I haven't read anything. I, here, here's uh, mm, it's five till twelve. Can I have twenty minutes? Can I have twenty? I'm asking, really. Can I? All in favor, say. All opposed. You may be dismissed. If, no. Here, listen, if I can't hold your attention and you got, and you need to leave or you want to leave or you have to leave, I'm fine with that. But I just, I think somebody's going to get some help today. Um, in, in Mark 14, 3, I'll read there. Now, Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy. And as he was reclining at the table, a woman came into the house holding an alabaster flask. It was filled with the highest quality of fragrant and expensive oil. She walked right up to Jesus, and with a gesture of extreme devotion, she broke the flask, poured out the precious oil over his head. But some were highly indignant when they saw this, and they complained to one another, saying, What a total waste. Guess who we find out said that in the Gospel of John? Judas. That's what Judas said. What a total waste. It could have been sold for a great sum, and the money could have benefited the poor. Yeah, him. Because Judas was stealing from the ministry funds. Everybody familiar with that? So they scolded this woman harshly. But Jesus said to them, leave her alone. Let's say that together. Leave her alone. That's what he said to Judas. Judas, be quiet. Maybe why Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus. I don't know. There's, there's got to be a reason. Could have offended him. Um, maybe Judas couldn't get Jesus to do what he wanted him to do. Ever, anybody ever been offended with Jesus there? Can't get him to do what you want him to do. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you so critical of this woman? She has honored me with this beautiful act of kindness. For you will always have the poor whom you can help whenever you want, but you will not always have me. That's so powerful. But you will not always have me. And Jesus meant me in the flesh like I am right now, which was so amazing to have been there. When she poured the fragrant oil over me, Jesus said, she was preparing my body in advance of my burial. She has done all this. She has done all that she could 
to honor me. That's a great point. At the end of the day, you can only do what you can do. She did that. I promise you that as this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her lavish devotion to me will be mentioned in memory of her. I just want to make a couple of comments about that because what you do is here you are seeing what loving Jesus looked like to this woman. Now, it's, it's questionable as to who she is. She could have been Mary Magdalene out of whom Jesus cast what, 12 demons. If you had 12 demons cast out of you, you would probably love someone a lot, wouldn't you? Yeah. And the Bible also says she could have been a prostitute and Jesus forgave her. The Bible says, um, who's ever forgiven much does what in return? Loves much. Oh my. And so looking back through these verses, Jesus at Simon the leper's house, Jesus had healed him. He had, as he sat there, this woman came and broke um, an alabaster box that probably contained a year's wages. So how much do you make in a year? That's what she did. She broke that box and poured this very expensive, it's called spike nard. Nard comes from the spike of the plant, and it was really reserved primarily for kings, or it was an investment. That was her investment. That was her future. That was her, what she was going to, that was her retirement account, you could say it that way. But something, she had seen Jesus, and there was, she had seen Jesus in a way that she, was happy to pour that out. And if you think about it, a year's wages, it was simply going to run down him, run on the floor, and be gone. But to her, he was worth it. And see, that that's what has to happen. We need to pursue the Lord until we actually see his true value. It's... You, you can tell your kids you need to go to church, you need to love God, or you're going to get in trouble, or they can see what a great person God is. They can see how profound his love is. He, they can be transformed because they actually see who he is, and that affects them. It's not just about doing the right thing. I'm going to tell you, doing the right thing might get you started, but it ain't going to get you where you need to go. You have to have something more profound inside your being to go the distance, to not give up, to refuse bitterness, to refuse to be hostile and critical and join the whole spirit of this age that's going on particularly in our nation right now and join that whole lunatic Facebook fringe who, who are willing to bite and devour one another over people, places, and things they've never been to and they have no personal knowledge of. It is a great deception to buy into all of that hostility. You are being duped. You are being brought down to a very base level. And you are not living 
in the reality of who God has called you to be if you bite and you devour and you fall into that sort of deceptive life. Oh, and the problem is, if you don't like me, come tell me. Don't send me a Facebook message. You chicken. That's what all these, all these, but these people will say anything to someone they hope never to see because that person might smack them. Come on. No, don't be deceived. Yeah, and I can. I'm, I'm happy to go at people too when I, my self-righteous indignation is stirred up. But it never ends well. If you didn't hear last week, this I guess is a continuation. So anyway, she pours this oil over Jesus' head. Judas rebukes her sharply. And Jesus, who's the master rebuker, and I think his rebuke probably worked better, rebuked Judas. And Jesus winds up saying, let me tell you what you have despised, how significant it is. Everywhere the gospel, the true gospel, the gospel at its core, wherever that is preached, this story will be preached with it. What this woman did, how many people she healed? No. How many missionary journeys she took? No. How many books she wrote? No. What? What she offered to this single person named Christ Jesus that she was willing to take her inheritance, not out of a rule, not out of legalism, not out of peer pressure. She went against peer pressure. That's how deeply and profoundly God can touch your heart. He will make you an independent thinking person and a lover of God. That no one can intimidate or threaten because you know who you are. I'm going to jump into uh, the last part here. And this is really the part. One, One comment. Jesus would never forget what that woman did. We need to never forget that God remembers. And when I mean that, I mean remembers the things we do in his name. Do you know what I'm saying? A couple of verses. Um, Psalm 56, 8, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? What if when you get to heaven, you have a bottle, and in that bottle, there are literal tears that Jesus somehow supernaturally kept on your behalf? To show you he was there when you were crying. He had to be there. He couldn't gotten the tears. Where's the Lord? He's with you. He's the one collecting those tears. You thought they evaporated. He put them in a bottle. Well, that's the metaphor. I don't think so. Why not? Why not real? Real bottle. Did you (laughs) weep metaphorical tears? I don't think so. Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened. Uh oh. And heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Here's what Jesus said by what he heard people saying about him. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. 
on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Okay, here's what I want us to do. I want us to skip over to uh, verse 33. Then Jesus led his disciples to an orchard called the oil press. Gethsemane is the actual name. He told them, sit here while I pray a while. He took Peter, Jacob, and John with him, Peter, James, and John, an intense feeling. Can you read that with me? An intense feeling of great horror plunged his soul into deep sorrow and agony. Anyone who ever says, Jesus does not understand how I feel, is wrong. And he said to them, Verse 34, is that there? My heart is overwhelmed with anguish and crushed with grief. How did he feel? It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. Let me make a point. Do you think Jesus ever exaggerated? Never once. What he said here was an accurate description of what he was going through in the garden. And there's some clear evidence that what he went through in the garden was affected him more profoundly and deeply or deeper than what he went through on the cross from a physical pain standpoint. Are you listening to me? He says this. He, he's beseeching his three favorite people, Peter, James, and John. He says, stay here with me. An intense feeling of great horror plunged his soul into deep sorrow and agony. And he said, my heart is what? Overwhelmed with anguish and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. Here's an interesting thought. Do you you know later when they beat Jesus up? Do you know what they smelled when they beat him up? What had just happened to him? What did Mary pour on his head and actually says in John, pour on his feet and wipe his feet with her hair? Do you know when they beat Jesus up, do you know what they smelled? Spike nard. The whole time Jesus was being beaten, he was remembering how much that one singular person loved him because he could smell her offering. He couldn't keep Peter and James and John with him, but what she did stayed. That's so powerful. Somebody already book about that. Dot Coke. Thank you, Jesus. Overcome with grief, the Bible says, he threw himself face down on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, he would not have to experience this hour of suffering. He prayed, Abba, my Father, all things are possible for you. Please don't allow me to drink this cup of suffering. Yet what I want is not important, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. For years, I would read this verse, and I would think what Jesus was saying was, I do not want to go to the cross, but if you want me to, I will. But I have changed my mind. Do you know what Jesus was really saying? Jesus was saying this. 
I am in the deepest form of agony anyone could ever experience. I have a great horror. I do not know if I'm going to live through this episode so that I can get to that cross. He was not trying to avoid that suffering. He was trying to live through this preemptive strike from Satan so that he could fulfill the very purpose he was born for, to offer himself as a ransom for sin for all humanity. He was not trying to get away from the cross. He was, <clears throat> he was trying to get there. Brian Simmons write this, writes this. The terms Jesus uses here are extraordinarily emotional and expressive, describing the deepest feelings a person could experience. The cup becomes a metaphor of the great suffering that Jesus had to endure that night in the garden. However, Jesus when I asked, was not asking the Father for a way around the cross. Rather, he was asking God to keep him alive through this night of suffering so that he could carry the cross and take away our sins. According to the prophecies of the Old Testament, Jesus was to be pierced on a cross. We learn from Hebrews 5-7. Now let me read Hebrews 5-7. It's just a remarkable verse. During Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God. Say pleaded with God. Praying with passion. With fearful agony. That God would spare him from death. And because of his perfect devotion, his prayer was answered and he was delivered. When was Jesus delivered from death? One single time ever. In the garden. Under that excruciating onslaught of sorrow and heartache and confusion and pain. Matter of fact, he was under such terrible stress that he sweat Blood, and the only time a human can sweat blood is when they're only the most intense physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. He cares, he loves you. He wanted to get to that cross. For the joy that was set before him, the Bible says, what did it say? He despised the cross. Despite, what was it? Despise the shame. I can't quote that. I'm, but anyway, you're that joy. He did that for you. 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 I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to keep saying it because I think every time I say it, it means something to somebody. He did that for you. And I'm not trying to get you to do anything. I'm just trying to, uh, I'm playing the long game. He did that for you. Not, not, I'm not saying this like, he did that for you. What's the matter with you? Can't you? No, 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 no. That was never his heart. No, he did that for you.
Can, can we say this together? He did that for me. He did that for me. He did that for me. Please say that out loud. It's, it matters. He did that for me. He did that for me. Yes. Okay, folks. That's John chapter 14. And uh, thank you for coming. Is Donna here? Donna, can you come on up? So I shared a little bit earlier about uh, Robin's knee and his surgery he's got scheduled this week. Um, but Donna's also been sick. And we're, t- we're doctors are trying to figure out what's going on. But um, th- this attack needs to stop against these leaders of our church. So will you stand with me right now? And we just want to pray over Robin and Donna. So just extend your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for what you endured on our behalf. And right now, God, will you come and bring healing to Robin and Donna? We pray healing. We command healing right now. God, you said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You told your servants, your disciples to go out and heal the sick. And so right now, we proclaim healing over Donna. Physical healing right now to Donna's body. We just command healing. And we just break off any attack against Robin and Donna, against the McMillan family right now in Jesus' name. We say no to this attack. No, right now, we proclaim wholeness, total wholeness and healing. And God, we just ask for just an outpouring of your grace and your mercy on this family. And whatever it looks like, God, whatever form it takes, God, whether it's unbelievably kind nurses that attend to Robin and Donna, whether it's miraculous power flowing through their veins, whatever it looks like, God, we just receive it right now. And Holy Spirit, will you just pour yourself out on them? Will you give them an extra measure of awareness of your presence? Will you release encounter to them during this season of their life, God? Will you reveal yourself to them like they've never known you before? Thank you, God. Amen, amen. Um, I feel like the Lord... Uh... Would you sit sit down just one more second, please? Um, I want us to receive um, a special offering this morning for Jim Hill's ministry. Um, uh, he was telling me he wants to build a medical clinic. Is it in Peru, Jim? It's in Argentina. I don't know why I keep sending you to Peru. <laughs> is is it over there in Botswana somewhere? <laughs> and and he he. Uh, this is really bothering Jim for me to do this for him. He's, he has like no, no slick money 
raising technique, but if you want to, if you want an envelope, if you'll raise your hand, but this, this entire offering will go to Jim's ministry for whatever, uh, use he has. And also, do we have that number we can throw up on the, uh, on the screen? And, um, I don't think we haven't taken up any special offerings in a good while, but I love Jim. I want him to be able to help these people. He's been really sacrificial. And uh tell you what we'll do. We'll put a couple of these buckets on the back table there. You want to do that? And is that number on the screen that you can you can text an offering to? And Donna, is there a place on there? We'll figure all that out. We could, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you put one in the back, back too, yeah. I pulled a fast one on everybody here this morning, so. Turned to somebody and said, Jesus did all that for you. Jesus did all that for you. Why don't you do it again? I'm waiting. <laughs> I think Jesus is awesome. Who loves Jesus this morning? Come on, come on, come on. We're just waiting a second. Are you under pressure over there, Donna? Nee, 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 nee. Just one moment. Did it show up, Stephen? Okay. Yeah, if you want to text to missions today for Jim Hill's uh, mission, we have that 779778484843. What is the number, actually? Oh, you see it up there. You can count. Come on. Do I have to do everything for you? No. Uh, how many have received help this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Send Jim money and have, oh, and, and something very important. The Panthers are playing the Redskins today. Come on, Panthers. Woo! Arthur, Arthur Clark says the Redskins are going to get destroyed because the Panthers have won more games than them. Let's give it up for Arthur Clark. Hey! Have a great weekend and next week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.